0: Jack Moline is president of Interfaith Alliance. In his long career, he's become a powerful voice fighting for religious freedom for all Americans, regardless of their faith or belief system. As a rabbi, he has worked to create common ground between people of diverse religious and secular backgrounds. He's advocated for a number of issues, including services for the disabled, affordable housing, marriage equality, pay equity, and civil rights. Rabbi Moline has authored two books and offered commentary on a number of news programs. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, being with me today and I have so many questions I want to ask you about, but before I get to those, can you just give us a little more background about the work you do with Interfaith Alliance and what the organization is for the atheists who may not know?
1: Sure. Uh, Thanks for asking that and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan. Thank you. I uh, I've been a part of Interfaith Alliance for almost 20 years. I was a volunteer for many years and spent some time as chair of the board, so I've seen us evolve. From the very beginning, we've been advocates for the two religion clauses in the First Amendment. The Free Exercise Clause, which enables people to follow their conscience as citizens of the United States, and the Establishment Clause, which prevents the government from involving itself in a way that establishes religion in general or a religion in particular as being favored by the government. Uh, And that has led us to all sorts of issues, ranging from marriage equality to uh, the Johnson Amendment, which is a current debate. Oh, we'll get to that. (laughs) I hope so. To uh, to, uh, all sorts of discrimination against religious minorities, religious majorities, and people of uh, no expressed, uh, theistic faith.
0: So let's get right to what's going on in the news in the past couple days. I know it changes so rapidly these days, but, uh, first off uh, the Supreme Court picked Donald Trump picked Neil Gorsuch. Uh, what do we know about him in terms of religion, church, state issues? I mean, is he a bad person for religious liberty issues?
1: Uh, he is an unknown quantity on religious liberty issues with a tilt toward uh, unacceptable, I would say. Um, he has been on what our organization would consider the wrong side of some of the uh, higher profile cases that have reached the Supreme Court when he was at a lower court level, including Hobby Lobby and uh, and such um, uh, decisions. So uh, we have a lot of questions about, uh, about Judge Gorsuch. Uh, Interfaith Alliance as a 501c3 does not endorse candidates or nominees, but we do feel compelled to raise serious questions about, about folks like him who have demonstrated a willingness to come down on the side of protecting uh, the more uh, extreme positions of the religious right.
0: So in Hobby Lobby, he ruled, he had a decision on it when it was in, I believe, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. And I believe it was his opinion that more or less when it went to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court sided on the same side he ended up landing on. So how much influence there was, who knows? But in, in brief, what was Gorsuch's decision when it came to Hobby Lobby?
1: Well, this is now the, uh, the famous extension of, uh, Governor Romney's corporations are people too," my friend statement. Uh, His contention was that a closely held company takes on the uh, religious rights and privileges of its ownership, uh, which meant that uh, the owners of Hobby Lobby, who were religious conservatives, uh, staunch Christians, um, could extend their convictions in the hiring and uh, compensation practices of their company, Hobby Lobby.
0: And so they could effectively say we don't want to pay for comprehensive birth control for our employees if it involves birth control, even if the government's giving us a sheet of paper saying we don't have to do that.
1: Right. Like many people on the religious right, they believe that their convictions uh, on their understanding of Bible or theology or or church teachings—I um, hesitate to use this word, but I will— trump the Constitution.
0: <laughs> is there any chance, uh, do you have any hope that Gorsuch might pull like a John Roberts on Obamacare and suddenly flip from what everyone's expecting?
1: So here's the thing about Judge Gorsuch is that by by everyone's estimation, he is an outstanding jurist. And um, I I have no doubt that his legal mind has the integrity to evaluate arguments as they're presented to him. The question, I have to say, and I I actually heard Senator Sheldon Whitehouse make this observation. The question is, is he a judicial conservative? And there's an argument to be made for that. Or is he a political conservative willing to use the judiciary to promote his beliefs? And I think that that's the essential question that has to be answered in the confirmation hearings. and, and once that happens, you know, then senators are simply going to have to decide whether they're willing to elect someone of that character to the Supreme Court. It's entirely possible, uh, as has happened many times from Earl Warren forward, that once elected to the Supreme Court, he will begin to see things in a different light. But right now, all we have to go on is his record.
0: I heard an interesting case that was made that, you know, I know the religious right seems to be reveling in Donald Trump's pick. I mean, he gave them pretty much what they wanted um, without going so far as to uh, nominate someone who probably would have no chance of getting confirmed, like William Pryor. But one of the things I heard was that he, uh, Gorsuch, has such a uh, non existent record on things like abortion that it was kind of an open question. I mean, you you assume if he's conservative on the Hobby Lobby case and he took that position, he's probably going to lean, you know, against Roe v. Wade or something like that. But we didn't know. I mean, and the religious right didn't know. They're just kind of assuming that he's with them on everything.
1: Uh, that may very well be the case. I I would make the same argument about uh, about Judge Garland when he was nominated by... President Obama, Mm -hmm. he he has a great record on on certain things as far as progressives are concerned, and he is certainly a jurist of unparalleled reputation. But once you get in that chair and you're wearing those robes that make you responsible for the life of the nation, you never know how things are going to go. Right.
0: Um, Let me uh, go to a different issue here, which is the Johnson Amendment, because on thursday donald trump spoke at the national prayer breakfast as presidents usually do every year and one of the things he really said is that i want to repeal the johnson amendment which would give pastors the ability to endorse candidates from the pulpit even though they are a nonprofit and technically speaking they're tax exempt they shouldn't be allowed to do that he said i want them to be able to do that anything less is basically censorship um how much teeth is there to this policy? Could he actually repeal the Johnson Amendment?
1: Well, I, I don't think he, he used the word repeal or anything like it. I think the word he used was kill. Um, That's better. <laughs> and, and and he he did get a pretty warm reception from most of the people there on that. So, uh, you know, whether he believes he can do that himself or not, the fact of the matter is that he can't change the IRS code unilaterally. Right. He needs so Congress's he help. Support. Um, could this theoretically be done? The answer is yes. The the reason it's called the Johnson Amendment is because when uh, when President Lyndon Johnson was a senator, it was he who introduced it in the Senate and it became part of the IRS code as a a result. So uh, what the Senate gives, the Senate can take away. Uh, Whether they would do it really depends on whether they're willing to accept Uh, President Trump's superficial understanding of what the Johnson Amendment prohibits and doesn't prohibit, or whether they understand the value that this IRS regulation has on keeping tax-exempt, tax-deductible nonprofits out of the campaign process. And that's really what's at stake here.
0: I mean nonprofits everywhere. If they correct me if I'm wrong, if the Johnson Amendment were to be repealed, nonprofits, including religious nonprofits like churches, synagogues, what have you, they could all start to play politics. So like Planned Parenthood, for example, could donate a whole bunch of money to the candidates of their choosing, which is something they can't do right now in, in at least some huge scope.
1: It's it's more critical than that. It's not simply that nonprofits could become the conduit for contributions. Uh, What what would happen is that the government would be subsidizing those contributions um, because they would be granting the donors to those nonprofits a tax deduction for giving their money to a nonprofit with no requirement of transparency or, or disclosure. So uh, someone who donates $100,000 now to a super PAC in the hopes of supporting a candidate could pull that money from a super PAC and give it instead to their local church if the church was willing to act as a pass-through to a candidate. No one would know where that money came from. Uh, No one would be able to investigate the church because it would be considered a religious right. And, and the person who donated the money would be able to take a $100,000 tax deduction uh, because uh, it was to a 501c3 organization. So what would be happening is the government would be using tax dollars underwriting the political campaigns of, of candidates ranging from President of the United States all the way to local dog catcher.
0: So it is way more disturbing than we think. Do you think if that were to happen, would it hurt politics more or would it hurt churches more
1: well i I think it would hurt nonprofits in general and therefore by extension it would hurt American society um, the the benefits that are provided to the United States culture and and society by by churches, synagogues, mosques, associations, and other nonprofits, uh, I don't think can be measured in in dollars. Um, the the, uh, the the sanctuary that people find, and I'm not talking about sanctuary from from uh, undocumented immigration. I'm just talking about about personal sanctuary, the the comfort that people find by being with like-minded people uh, in association. Or the meaning that they find by devoting themselves to good works through groups like the Red Cross or the Boy Scouts or the uh, the services that they provide that government has stepped back from like caring for the hungry the homeless people who are on the streets with mental illness those are things that that if if they were compromised because people would be suspicious about contributing to a group that was supporting candidate X or candidate Y, we would all suffer for it. Not only would those institutions no longer have the resources to do their primary job, which is to care for their constituencies and their communities, but the government would not have the tax revenue to make up for what was no longer being provided by nonprofits. Now, a lot of people listen to a statement like that and say, oh my God, you know, it's a big conspiracy theory and it's a domino theory and these things uh, never work. But all you have to do is look at the dissatisfaction that people have right now with our political process when this dark money is being filtered through groups like Citizens United. And you know that this is only going to be exacerbated if it comes down to the church on the corner of their neighborhood.
0: Lots of disturbing things to think about. Um, one question I have for you as as an interfaith leader specifically, um, or a couple of them. We, we saw that as this new Congress uh, was sworn into office once again, there are zero open atheists in Congress, 535 people, zero atheists. I know that's, it's not like there's some atheist quota that we need to have or something, but Congress is overwhelmingly Protestant, overwhelmingly Christian in general. Um, I mean, even some minority religions have some representation. Is that necessarily a bad problem? Because of course there are religious politicians who do a wonderful job protecting church-state separation. Uh, Their faith guides them in in very progressive ways. But do you see a problem when, you know, such a huge swath of America being non-religious has no direct representation in that regard?
1: So there was a a study that just came out uh, that um, 13% of Americans still believe that you have to be a Christian to be fully American and uh, that's pretty high although it's it's not so much surprising to me because of the results of the last election Uh, but if you are a candidate or if you're an office holder who relies on your electorate to return you to office and 13 percent of people are willing to declare that you not only need to be religious but you need to be a particular religion in order to be fully American it's no surprise to me that people Choose to keep their their secular beliefs uh, private. Did you um, say
0: thirteen percent? I could have sworn it was like thirty or something.
1: I think it's thirteen percent said you had to be a Christian. Okay, it's a much larger percentage of people who will say they wouldn't vote for a candidate who said he didn't believe in God. Sure, sure. But this is this is thirteen percent who said you had to be a Christian.
0: But yeah, okay. there, that that is kind of an ingredient when it comes to being like a true American, in a sense. Uh, right. So,
1: yeah. So what we need, what we need in this country is um, a Barney Frank of atheists, <laughs> people who are uh, a person or persons who are willing to stand up and say, um, do what you want to do. I'm a, I'm a heck of a legislator. I represent your interests and I simply don't have a theistic approach to, to my philosophy." I, I believe in the potential of human goodness, and I believe in the responsibility of, of folks like me to actualize that human goodness. But I don't attribute it to a god figure.
0: And, and any so religious politician, yeah, any religious politician could say that. It's just said very few actually do. Right,
1: right. I think the closest we came, and I, I don't know Bernie Sanders personally, so I can't tell you whether this is his theology or not. The closest we came was Bernie Sanders. If if there was anybody who who made a nonverbal statement that he didn't have much truck with religion, it was it was Bernie when he appeared at Liberty University on the first day of Rosh Hashanah to deliver an address, <laughs> um, as one the, does. Yes, <laughs> the Jewish community sort of shook its head and said, "Say what?" But. <laughs> God bless him, so
0: to speak. Yeah. And, and you know, he really did do a really good job of speaking to ethics and emotion, you know, because for him, income inequality is kind of a moral issue, which is usually the sort of thing we leave to religious people to talk about. But he, he really built his philosophy around the fact that we need to take care of the people who are struggling.
1: And I, I have to say that as, as a believer myself, as a rabbi myself, um... One of the reasons that I find such uh, common cause with folks from all different perspectives, people who are uh, much more conservative religiously than I am and people who have no particular uh, um, affiliation with, with faith or faith community, one of the reasons I find common cause is because it is those issues which are enshrined in our Constitution, an entirely secular document, that uh, that require us to work together, no matter what perspective we come from. When we when we talk about uh, securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, it, the phrase under God is not there.
0: Let me ask you. I, I don't ask this as a political thing, but more of a objective, strategic sort of thing. What would Democrats have to do to kind of get that religious vote that we just? often assume kind of goes to Republicans, do Democrats need to, quote-unquote, find religion? Or do they just need to kind of do more of what Bernie Sanders did, which is talk about uh, supposedly religious issues, like the struggling, the suffering, the poor, whatever, but frame it in a different way?
1: I don't know the answer to that question. I have attended uh, a number of political conventions, both uh, on on a state level and on a national level, and I have discovered that every session devoted to religious life has wound up being some version of church. <laughs> and uh, a serious conversation about what constitutes religious values and uh, what what constitutes the equivalent of what religious people call their values in the secular society has never happened in a public forum. Um, religion remains ironically compartmentalized by republicans and democrats alike uh, what flows from that in terms of political policy often gets presented as as being reflective of religious values but what it means to be a person of faith or for that matter what it means to be a person of belief's not based on on a theology uh, has never been a conversation in this country and it's a scary one to have uh, i don't know that uh, that Democrats have a way to do that any more than Republicans do without alienating people who are deeply convinced of the importance of a belief in God.
0: Do you totally switching gears here? Do you have any issue when it comes to atheists being in the interfaith movement? Because I I've heard pro and con from the atheist side of things where you know, interfaith suggests that there's something virtuous about faith, which is something not all atheists want to get behind. But at the same time, a lot of the interfaith issues I'm sure your organization and several others work on are ones a lot of us probably agree with. So I'm wondering if you've ever had experience dealing with that controversy or if it's resolved in your mind.
1: So you and I did not talk before we sat we down did with not. this podcast. Right. Uh, Which means that when I tell you that um, our board just elected the first atheist representative to it, I I hope that answers the question. Um, Interfaith alliance does not just mean faith communities uh, as defined in the traditional meaning of of the word. It means people who want to be in that community that crosses the lines among religions, denominations, and philosophies. And so Kyle Jones, who is an atheist chaplain in uh, in Phoenix, uh, has become the first uh, atheist member of our board. And I'm very delighted to have him. I'm the one who suggested he join.
0: That's wonderful. And what role do atheists play in that broader conversation, not just in your organization? Because you know one of the when you look at the rhetoric from a lot of the more popular atheists, it's kind of like to hell with all religion, but not necessarily when you're working in a community of religious people trying to accomplish larger goals or something. So I'm wondering, you know, not just for your group, but in a broader sense, what would you like to see from atheists when it comes to interfaith work?
1: It's hard to answer this question without sounding paternalistic. Um, but being the uh, being a member of a minority myself, being a Jew, um, I speak from my from my own experience and. And it is getting over the notion that everybody has to agree with you before you're willing to act in coalition with them on the issues on which you do agree. That's, that's the bottom line. When when gay people stopped demanding that, uh, that everybody who was in, in partnership with them on man- matters of equality affirm what it means to be gay, they made enormous progress. When, when Jews stopped demanding that Christians give up talking about Jesus if we were gonna do anything together, that's when we began to make progress. When Catholics were willing to go into coalition with people on issues other than uh, reproductive health choice without demanding that first people uh, come out against abortion, that's when they made progress. And when atheists decide that they don't need to be affirmed by people Who are more interested in accomplishing something than agreeing on something, they will have, I think, a stronger voice and a stronger role in society.
0: What sort of issues do you find, whether it's with your board or any other interfaith group, what are the most contentious issues? Because I think a lot of this, sure, we can get a lot of good people, religious or not, working together for the cause, but what sort of things are the more controversial ones you guys discuss and debate?
1: So, again, we spend a lot of time talking about this, and and I will say that there are there are sort of three groups of issues that we have elected to uh, put on the back burner. Um, some would say uh, ignore. but I'll just say put on the back burner. The first is uh, that collection of issues surrounding abortion. Uh, if we're going to be in coalition with evangelical Christians, and Orthodox Jews, and Roman Catholics. uh, We're simply going to have to agree that however strongly any one or group of us feels about it, we're not gonna talk about that issue. The second is international affairs. Our relations with uh, the Muslim community are very strong, and they are among our, our biggest supporters. And part of that is enabled by the fact that we just don't talk about the Middle East. We don't talk about ISIS. We don't talk about Israelis and Palestinians. We, we don't talk about anything outside the borders of the United States of America, and it gives us common ground. And the third area is whether we're about promoting religious freedom, which is a protective approach, or whether we're about pluralism, which is a proactive approach. And that's a subject that we have uh, elected to try to work both sides of the streets on. Uh, right now, there's no question that protecting religious freedom, true religious freedom, is at the top of our agenda. It, it wasn't that way the first of November, but it certainly is now. Uh, but, but promoting a beloved community, which is a proactive approach, is something I'd like to see us be able to get back to with a little more energy.
0: Let me go back to something you said. You said uh, LGBT rights, however. That, that's not a controversial issue. I mean, you guys can get behind that they deserve civil rights, equal rights, what have you. Is that correct?
1: We have, uh, we have proudly done that for a long time. We were very active in the coalition to promote marriage equality. Um, but we are a faith-based organization. So what we do not say is that your church needs to affirm homosexuality as being a desirable lifestyle or that your pastor needs to officiate at a marriage between two men or two women. What we say is that everyone in this country is entitled to the same civil rights and it is a matter of our faith commitments that uh, we have to support the law of the land, uh, which includes the protection of rights for people who are LGBTQ and the protection of rights for people who belong to more conservative religious traditions.
0: Well, the reason I bring that up is that makes sense as your organization how you approach that but then couldn't we say the same thing about something more contentious right now anyway like abortion which is to say look here's what the law says we want to make sure women have the right to to decide what happens with their own bodies but we're not taking a stance on whether abortion is good or bad we're not talking about the unborn per se Uh, I'm trying to figure out what's the difference between something like LGBT rights, which you all seem like you're getting behind, uh, and abortion, which you're saying is on the back burner.
1: Uh, It's a great question, and uh, I would uh, plead capacity at this point. Uh, The energy that it would take to engage communities we are glad to have relationships with uh, on issues that we share in common. Uh, if we uh, if we lifted up abortion to a central uh, notion of what we do, the energy that it would take would not yield the results that they have so far. Um, whereas uh, our support for the LGBTQ community um, has brought them into the fold, and uh, we're pleased that even among those communities that don't seem to uh, endorse uh, a, a fluid sense of human sexuality, are at a point in history where they're willing to talk with us about how you protect the rights of all American citizens, even if you don't agree with how some of those rights are expressed.
0: Okay. I have one last question for you, which is before the election took place, what did you think the biggest issues were going to be for for the people you work with? And since Trump's election, what is now like the priority for you all?
1: Oh man. I, you know, that, that is the question of the hour. (laughs) I will tell you that on November 7th, we sat in the office here and we said, so how are we going to keep going? Because all we have are some edges to polish here. You know, we, we've, we've pretty much made progress on everything we consider to be important. Um, and, uh, on November 9th, when we came back in, we said, my God, it's an entire reset. We're back where we were 20 years ago. We're going to be we're going to be litigating not just in the courts but in the public the same issues that that inspired our founding 20 years ago. So we're still we're still trying to find the issue for us. The Johnson Amendment is a big issue for us, and uh, I think that since we have not seen the end of this onslaught of executive orders, uh, there are other things that we have already declared victory on, like, uh, like gay and lesbian rights, and like uh, the place of, of uh, minority and non-religious uh, voices in society. I, these are things that we're going to be starting from scratch on, unfortunately.
0: On that happy note, <laughs> um, <laughs> if people are more interested in learning about the organization, the website is interfaithalliance.org. Is there anything else uh, you'd like the people to know?
1: Uh, I'm just so grateful that we live in a country uh, and have a technology that allows programs like this to be podcast. It's, uh, it's a really important contribution to the, the breadth of, of thought and consideration in our society. So thank you for doing this.
0: Well, I really appreciate that. Rabbi Jack Moline, he's the president of Interfaith Alliance. Thank you so much for your time.
1: My pleasure.